Yeah, man. Ooh. So we're finally doing this. We're finally doing it, man. I like the improvis like the improvisation part of it. Um, <laughs> just kind of linking up. The first conversation we had was right next to that DJ set. On the yeah, full moon. yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah the full moon. Under the full moon. Yeah, what did we talk about there? We talked about creating and creating from a service position and creating, but also not wanting to publish because not feeling like the content that we were creating was maybe either at the level that we wanted to publish or like in the form that we wanted to publish too. We talked about a lot. We talked about a lot during that. Yeah. During, during that. a DJ set, during a party at a hostel in Tulum, yeah. we were talking about some creative deep stuff. Yeah. It was my first time getting to even know Kai. And, and yesterday we had a really good conversation. And then on the third day, you're like, yo, let's just, let's just do it. Let's, let's just get the podcast. Yeah. Last night we were in the co-working space and yeah, we had a lot of good topics that we were talking about, but I feel that, you know, we can talk about so many things. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. so let uh, let the listeners, I mean, well, first of all, we just set up randomly here on like the fourth floor of this hostel yeah. because there's like so much construction going on. Um, but I think it works. Like it's good. It's just improving anywhere, right? You can set up anywhere. That's it. And I think the whole entire hostel scene is like a portal in a way to a different paradigm of traveling and I think with that, you know, obviously it's not a perfected system like a hotel. You know, everything's always like perfect if you go into a hotel. And I kind of like the imperfections. Um, the hostel we're at right now, Mayan Monkey, like I said, has some of the best facilities that I've seen in hostels. And they're doing construction at the very bottom and the very top, like the two like places we can actually cook <laughs> and chef and work. Um, but with that said, you know, I, I like the organic feel of it. I, I think we could still yeah, yeah. capture I, some content. I think that... Uh part of the uh the appeal of uh hostels when you're traveling is like you get to kind of flow like when i stay in hostels i kind of book almost day by day or yeah, two yeah. days at a time when you and i'll book the day of when i get there yeah. as opposed to when you book to a hotel you're booking like a month in advance right right and you're preparing you're getting everything done so it's more free-flowing yeah no 100 percent. um this morning i woke up and i was i woke up pretty early because i had a pretty early night yesterday and they were doing they were doing yoga in the center of, of the space over here. And I was just like jumped in mid session into the kind of like the yoga class they had. And I think this is one of the beauty of the beauties of like of hostel living and hostel life. I'm going to just keep on. I'm going to keep on going. Um, but I was also in Bacalar. So we're out here in, in, in the Mayan Riviera in Tulum. You guys probably heard of Tulum. You guys probably seen it in a really cool Instagram stories and, and posts. But. I was I was just down south in, in Bacalar in, in this place called Yak Lake House. Okay. Um, really cool hostel scene right on the lake of Bacalar, seven colors and stuff. And a similar thing happened. I woke up at like 6 a.m. randomly and they were having a tour doing paddle boarding out in the middle of the lake. It was my first time doing paddle boarding. And I just feel like these are one of the cool, like spontaneous experiences of hostel life that you get to introduce yourself to things and continue to surprise yourself with. Yeah, and that's the that's the vibe that you get when you're in hostels. When when you're meeting people, you're staying. So basically, for people who, who don't know what a hostel is, it's basically like almost a, a college dorm. But it's some some of them are four people, some of them are twenty people, twenty yeah, yeah. bunk beds, yeah. even like tr triple triple beds. Yeah, yeah. And what happens is you end up kind of meeting people that are staying in your place randomly and you make the connections. And then what happens is they, they'll say, Hey, what are you doing today? Let's go do something. Yeah, and yeah. you're, it's more a, a collective space where you're, you're meeting people and you're not trapped in your room as like a hotel room would be. 
co-living right co-living co-living with strangers and especially with everything that we've been going through over the last like year and a half so to speak i was talking to a friend we were out in a bar having a great time and he was like man i really miss like hanging out with strangers (laughs) you know what i mean yeah yeah i think in the current paradigm that we live in or at least like especially we lived in it was like the family became like the primary social network um and there was a time obviously we go to a bar and like obviously you had your three friends you go to a bar with but you don't even know who's going to be in that space. And I have like a romantic story being in Tulum where like some random person, I, w- I was in a four room dorm. Um, and then the next day a random person walked into my room. It turned out to be someone that I had a really great connection with. And mm. now we're traveling to Oaxaca together. Nice. You know, so these are the aspects of like uncertainty. Uncertainty and randomness or... Oh, yeah. Or is it? Do you think it's random or uncertain? Or do you think we're we kind of co-create our lives with other people? That's a good question. It's hard. It's a philosophical question. What I do mean, you think? We could debate. I, I mean, I struggle. I think there if you believe in determinism, that the that everything is determined from the Big Bang to now that everything is just a playing out of of the subatomic particles and everything is fixed and based off a point, like if you hit a cue ball, there's a there's a equation for that yeah. and if you can know all the variables yeah. you can determine what ball is going to go in at what place so the same thing with the big bang yeah i mean i can tell you how i feel about it from an emotional standpoint and then i can try to philo- like philosophize it okay i i think predetermination and i know that there's a lot of like religious sects like sects that have like followed predetermination right mm-hmm. and it's been one of the things that have created like divisions within a uh, christianity like are you destined to go to heaven or do your actions determine you know your your your, pl- your place in the afterworld right for me the idea that life is predetermined isn't inspiring but with that said I do believe that there's a lot of predetermined clauses. Like, for instance, me, my name is Brandon Samba, by the way, um, born in the Democratic Republic of Congo, like during Civil War, mass genocide. And I would say, like, the second I was born in a space and time, that had a lot of, like, influencing factors. And if I was to be born in, like, Beirut 10 years later, or if I was to be born in Idaho 100 years or even 200 years later. So with that said, like, I think that there's a place for predetermination but also being born in like civil war and mass genocide. And maybe that equation is not like so formalized and structured because, you know, obviously I'm here in Tulum. Like who would have, who would have, who would have thought that, Yeah. you know, being born in the DRC during civil war. And, and a lot of that's been with, with my own, with my own hands and with my, own, a lot of it's been with my brain rather than my body um, to be able to like transcend certain places. So I really believe in like kind of creating your own reality. And I think, some things are predetermined. I think that like we don't have a 360 pivot to change our lives, but I think we do have a bit of degrees of freedom. Uh, degrees. I like that degrees of freedom where it's not completely maybe your choice, but there are certain aspects that are your choice where responsibility comes in because you can only be held responsible for that, the action that you take. If you have no free will or choice, then how can you be held responsible? And uh, yes, I mean, you started off by talking about yourself. So tell us I mean, more about yourself and what it was like and you where you were born, where you're from, how you grew up. Yeah, and I, I, I really like the fact that, like, when we started the podcast, we didn't start with who I am because I think, like, these, like, these concepts of, of who we are really create a lot of barriers for being able to transcend into conversations mm-hmm. outside of, like, who our ego believes we are. Um, I guess if I was to give you, like, a really formalized 
formalized idea of like who I th- who I think I am or like who my persona tells people I am. I have a name. My name is Brandon Samba. I go by Samba. Um, I was originally born in the Democratic Republic of Congo. Uh, had a really strong passion for athletics growing up. Had a mentor who played 12 years in the NFL. And he told me, Samba, it's better to be an owner of a football team than a player. And really started teaching me about the language of money. Um, I would be in calls, conversations in his Bentley. And he'd be like putting $500,000 into his into his trading account. I don't know what brokerage he used back then. <laughs> but he would, he, he would be having his broker put 500k and just getting exposure know coming from where i came from my parents worked really really hard but they didn't give me this other side of the light and then i just really fell in love with business and finance and investing when i was 15 i really kind of dove into it quit playing football um and that's what i've been doing ever since you know i ended up going to bentley university in boston uh private business school and just getting really good at my craft and then long story short came over here for spring break senior year uh, in this exact hostel in tulum got really inspired by the concept of like owning our own destiny. And we're talking about like degrees of freedom and like really taking responsibility for our freedom. And rather than taking like a traditional banking job where I was gonna make $100,000 first year out of college, I decided to start my own business that helps students. And I also have a nonprofit that we work with kids, Captains of Capital. Um, So that's what I've been doing for like the last year, like really building a business, creating communities, traveling, adventuring, inner work. And I guess that's like a little bit of my journey and, and, and my story. And like, I guess like. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. How you said that, that, you know, you don't. A lot of times when we meet people, we kind of work asked, where are you from? What's your name? And we kind of put people in a box. Yeah. And and I like the way you put it. You said it. You started off and. And yeah, it's 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 super amazing how you took this uh, this one conversation, not probably one conversation, but this mentor that you had, and he gave you just shifted your perspective. And all of a sudden, from playing football, you saw you said, "Hey, no, like I want to get into something much greater, something that can help and give back to the community." Yeah. So now here you're starting you're starting this. Um, you've started it already and you, you've grown this company where you train students to learn about finance and, and can you talk more about that? Yeah. Um, so I'll talk a little bit more about what we're doing on the nonprofit side of captains of capital okay. um, rather than like more of, cause the business that we're working with is a hedge fund Okay. and I'm running the education division. I just don't want to necessarily get yeah, into yeah. like too, there's a too lot of regulatory cool. things okay, okay. as well as like, I got to respect yeah. the, like, talk the about the nonprofit. Yeah. The um, but I started a nonprofit captains of capital, uh, during freshman year of my time in college. So we've been running it for like five years now, um, with this exact goal, because I had a mentor who played 12 years in the NFL. And when I was playing football, like I used to spend the entire day watching ESPN and working out like three times a day. So I had this really like kind of bubble mindset Mm. for the way and and football for me wasn't any like joke. Like I wasn't just doing it as a way to like, um, you know, like get girls. Obviously it's nice when girls like the cheerleaders want to wear your jerseys, your Jersey and stuff. You get the letterman, but I, I saw this as a way to like, by the way, by no means is my family, you know, I think sometimes people exaggerate their their, their suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, we came from the from 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 the Congo, but in a lot of ways we enjoyed privilege and my family always made sure my, my mom's a preschool teacher, my dad's a construction worker and a businessman. Um, more of a businessman than a construction worker. He was working in construction when he first came to the States, but I saw football as my way to really like get to like the ultra net worth of like 
you know, like Tom Brady <laughs> and like Ladanian yeah, yeah, yeah. Tomlinson and like these guys that were. So I saw football as a way to like make it out the hood. So not even the hood, you know, like this is what I mean. I, I grew up in the hood for a little bit. I'm, I know I'm running in circles, but right. I'm trying to be really like intentional about the message that I'm putting out right. there. But I say this all to say is that I didn't have exposure to the language of money, finance, investing, banking, economic systems, inflation, treasury rates, right? But someone gave me that exposure. So in my freshman year of college, when I got really good at this stuff, I wanted to give that to other students. That's what we're doing with Captains of Capital. Uh, we've done programming to like over 1,500 students in the last like few years. And like all of them, mainly like underserved students. Nice. Um, so that's what we're really focused on. And then, of course, that's a nonprofit. I haven't made a single dollar off of that like process. But like what's, a, what's your motivation for doing that? Like what? what are you just doing it because you want to give back or are you, is there some, I could tell you a story about, I could tell you the story. Yeah. yeah, let me yeah. Know. Um, so essentially I, like being, having grown up in, in San Diego and then you, some of our users are going to know, like some of our audience members are going to know what it's like going to college for the first time. Mm -hmm, yeah, of course. And like just the first taste of like, freedom in a way like <laughs> i guess i didn't really consider yeah the first time not having parents like the first time having to be your own parent and yeah. i didn't necessarily do that process well like the first two weeks in college really was that like on my first let me see all right so college i get in there and by the way like i'm going to college i go to a private business school like i could have went to like usc where i would just be in a frat and party i went to a private business school in the middle of like not even boston waltham massachusetts like i was almost going to like military training but for business and okay. i had a very specific goal and vision of what i wanted to go ahead and do there so my first like my first like two weeks i became like on the executive board for like the top organizations in Bentley University, like trading communities, because I already had the knowledge. I've been doing it since I was 15, you know, so I knew I knew more about like finance and investing than the seniors. So I got a lot of leadership roles and I was doing I was doing my thing. But academics is I'm I get by in academics, you know, but I'm I'm more in like the real world. Like, let me actually create something, you know. So I was doing that and I was doing really well on like the whole leadership side, the whole manifestation side. But then I got my first taste of freedom and alcohol wasn't always like a big thing in San Diego. Like people used other like more organic substances. So I go to my first frat party and then someone's giving me, I forget what we were drinking, like absolute vodka and gray goose and jungle juice and beers. And yeah, yeah, yeah. all of a sudden, I don't know where the fuck I am. I'm sorry to like, <laughs> no, no, I don't know. Okay, okay. So I don't know where I am. And um, I end up, one of my friends who's there left me, and this is something we still talk about, but it's my responsibility. I should be able to take care of myself. I end up grinding with some girls, so he's like, all right, I'm, I'm out of here, you know? <laughs> like, you can do your thing, so, but, so I end up uh, getting back to my dorm, barely make it to my dorm, and then just like fall to the ground, start throwing up all over my, all over my, all over my, um, my dorm, because I was sick, you know, I was sick. Uh, luckily it was in the trash but one of the ras one of the assistants came up and they're like okay like you're sick this is our problem now so we got to call the ambulance they called the ambulance they had ambulanced me up wow. and took me to like the the hospital yeah um and then like so that was one refraction by the way i was the president of our dorm at the time like i was the president of the miller building so i suppose you know i told you like i came in here i was out here like knocking out goals but yeah, yeah. i partied too hard one night um, and then one day, like I had my meeting for like that, that situation. And they're just like, like Samba, like you've been out here for, for a week. Like we see you doing, you see you doing well, but like they didn't, they didn't threaten to kick me out of school, but they're just like, this is like a, 
this is a university that we take seriously like wake up call yeah we accepted the best of the best you know and like for you to be here means that like someone else is in here right and it really got me back to like like why am i like i'm i'm so far away from home like i'm in the middle of the cold and like why the fuck am i here am i here to just like go to frat parties just get fucked up and i was just like no um and i remember when i was in high school i I, i'd been doing the organization captains of capital um and it was just like a really great way for me to express my passions with other people and help people um so then i just got to work develop a team and it was just like one of the best decisions i made nice and then you got into i mean it was a wake-up call for you and i think a lot of people when they a lot of i would say yeah kids teenagers when they get out of high school they kind of have all this freedom and, and they think all right like let me just explore and, and do what i want and sometimes you can get overboard and you can kind of lose control a bit yeah. but it takes it takes kind of an extreme to bring you back right yeah, yeah. if it wasn't for that for that moment where you went back and you had this conversation you probably might have still a little bit longer yeah but yeah i think uh so then you yeah no i would say well the interesting thing is when we talk about like going you got to go to hell and back you know and this is like kind of like a Jungian concept of incorporating the shadow mm. and our shadows actually go really really deep like as deep as hell itself you know like we've seen really really bad things happen in the world and i think it's a natural part of the human psyche uh, the, yeah the, i like carl Jung. yeah yeah and like there's a reason why we have war and i think i think in like our kind of polished societies that we lived in today you know i had seen especially like we see a lot of americans and like europeans like they come out here with like our really like structured and in, in, in some of these places we're so disconnected from nature itself that they see like Hispanic and Mexican people here living their natural lives. And some girl was trying to say, why do they have a dog on a leash like that? It was a guard dog. And it was like, yo, you understand if she was, if he wasn't on a leash, he'd be coming after you right now. So sometimes we get these like really polished mindsets around like darkness right? and, and about like rock bottom. Yeah, and sometimes yeah. we get afraid of like, rock bottom or like dark concepts and i would just say that i think that's really important for growth it's like looking into your shadow looking into like some of the things that you're not really proud of for yourself and hopefully you can manifest that into like positive things i didn't go like yo i didn't go into like yo i'm never gonna drink again i probably said that for the first week but it's like yo how do i become a more responsible version of myself right right and uh so you think that like like i've, I've listened to carl young and he talks about like shadow work and when you're essentially when you're holy it means that you're whole that you're not just about your the good part of you. You're not like a holy angel with no sin, but you're also incorporating your dark side with your light, if you're dark yeah, with your light. Yeah. And that's what makes you whole when you yeah. put it all together. Well, if you look at the individuation process, which is something that like Young really got inspired by, um, essentially Young, people said like he had schizophrenic, like people, you, you could define it how he, how you want, but, but he had an encounter with his subconscious that like literally drove him to madness. But rather than being defeated by it, and given his background in genius and psychology, he used it as a ability to un- uncover the, the unconscious. When he published his red book, that's more of like this, like like pictures and symbols and understanding how symbolism and like abstract concepts that uh, get imprinted because our subconscious doesn't speak to us in words. A lot of times it speaks to us in like pictures and bits. Oh, I got it. I can hold it, bro. Yeah, but... Um, but yeah, we're, but we're, we're talking like, I could keep on going. Yeah. So the subconscious, it doesn't always speak to us in, 
and like in words, right? The way that like our conscious minds do. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so long story short, he used the Red Book as a way to be able to like depict what his subconscious was saying to him. Um, and, and then, and then, and then, and then once he, and then Carl Jung's like like kind of um, magnum opus, so to speak, like his his lifelong work uh, was on the basis of individuation which is essentially like how do we take the different aspects of our psyche, whether we're looking at the persona and then the ego, the sub aspects of the ego, which we have our conscious ego. And then we have like kind of like the shadow of our ego, right? Like the ID, they call it. Mm -hmm. Um, And then we have the super ego. And then we also have levels of that, which is the self. And then we have a collective conscious, which is what connects all humans. So we know that we're human. And then we have the anima, which is like our more feminine aspect. Also, we're male. Like we have this like feminine aspect in our, and also women have an asp- ability to have like masculine aspects in their psyche. So this individuation process, like how do we actually become a whole self and a whole being? So that we're not projecting traumas onto other people. We're not like running around in circles for dopamine hits, and oh. we can actually be like our truest self. And I think shadow work is a really important aspect of that. Nice. Yeah. So how do you incorporate shadow work? I've, I've been really, you know, the Egyptians, they use a lot of dream states. Like, they, like that's kind of what Young would do. He would go into, like, really, he he, um, he found the faculty to be able to daydream, almost like we used to daydream when we were kids. And in that, like, daydreaming process, we can end up uncovering a lot of things from our subconscious. Um, dreaming is a really big, important thing. Like, sometimes our habits actually inhibit our ability to dream the way that we should be dreaming. Whether it's, yeah. like, for instance, like, you probably don't dream when you have a long day of drinking. No. Right? Um, but if you can actually really live like a clean, like healthy life, then you can really start to find like vivid dreams. And in those dreams, you can find out a lot about yourself. You can find out a lot about your shadow and then also projections, understanding like, let's say you're walking on the street and you see a stranger and you have like a negative thought about that, that person. And you know, like what you're doing is you're projecting and mm-hmm. we do this a lot with relationships as well. And it has nothing to do with that stranger. It has something to do with something deep in your shadow that, cause the shadow is like a really, irrational kind of uh, person um, so there's a lot of ways that I, like I'm conscious of shadow work and I also think the other aspect of the shadow is feeding the shadow and I think that there's like a lot of things that that I that I do that um, through like my evangelical like Christian axioms would maybe consider to be like negative concepts like for instance sex before marriage but there's aspects in our shadow that are connected to these really like primal and like primal urges that we have. Yeah. And like, how do we like actually express those things? Because the problem becomes is, is the guy who's super holy. We see this all the time in like churches. Mm-hmm. We saw this with like bishops and like priests. And there's a reason why there's this like stigma around like priests touching children, you know, because the more we're attached to our light and the less we feed our shadow, the, the, the stronger ah. and more dense our shadows get. So, I'd rather see someone who like is really comfortable with his darkness than someone who really fights it off. I I'll feel more comfortable in a room with someone like that. Yeah, yeah, I like that. Yeah, because if you, I think that's also why a lot of people feel uncomfortable when they see someone who's like a good, good, goody, goody, or someone who's a um, someone who does a lot of good. They think, all right, what's wrong with this person? Where's their like? What are they hiding? What are where's the the dark side of them? And we kind of have this this instinct to to know we instinctually know that everyone has a shadow and everyone has a good part so even within someone who maybe is someone evil or bad 
that we may consider like a bad boy or, or a bad person we know that hey maybe there's something wrong with him there's, there's a good part to him yeah so on yeah. both sides yeah and it's really interesting too you know well there's i think there's two things i think at the end of the day you know we come from our, our first societal structure was tribalism and i think that respect is a really important thing um obviously self-respect but also like collective respect and i think like respect across societies and the way that that forms like social hierarchies and i think we just can't respect someone who's a goody good because if you look at any kind of hero right like you look at um for instance spider-man spider-man got bit by by the spider like so and that that way like kind of like a dark entity captured him um and 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 all of the all of the strongest superheroes have to be just as evil as the villains in a way you know what i mean like Right. Like like someone that doesn't have darkness to them can't really be like 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 good, you know what I mean? Like to try to think about it like as a rabbit. No one thinks of a rabbit as like a, it's like um, resp- they're cute, you know, they're cute, but they don't have like paws and claws. Right. And until you actually develop like paws and claws, and then decide to go ahead and use it for like positive things, I don't think that you people really have respect for people that are just good you know i think people have some kind of admiration of people that have the capacity for evil but don't use it right yeah i think also so that's why we kind of a lot of people try to knock down people who are what we see as like heroes or like like superheroes yeah they're always like you know what's wrong with them or try to and it's not that they're knocking them down essentially they're just trying to figure out what's wrong with they're trying yeah, to figure yeah. the, they're trying to see the whole picture but i don't see someone who's a goody good as a superhero at all okay so what do you see a goody I think like if you look at Batman, like Batman was he was fighting crime, and like sometimes you weren't always sure. Like the superhero sometimes is yeah. Batman on. is a good example of both. Yeah, sides. and he's like, you're not really sure in the way of like is he is he good or is he eat like right. The, the the hero myth sometimes has aspects of both where you're kind of dealing with moral dilemmas, and you also have the power to be able to express yourself through aspects of both dark and light. But then you decide in some way towards towards whatever someone would consider to be light um and i also think you know one thing that everyone gravitated towards the joker story is to also see how this concept of a villain is actually not always like a hundred percent villain like you can understand how yeah like a villain could be a hero for someone else and that's what the joker became for the people Mm. and then also understanding how society can actually turn people hard like can create like brittle people and like how can create mental illness and yeah i think so what do you think about like someone like superman then um where he's seen as this he's always doing good right yeah, there's yeah. not there's not a dark side to him yeah and it's i think a lot of people have trouble with that well, well one thing that's interesting about like superman for instance is one like like that's why i say like like a hero has to have pause because like superman is still strong like he 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 beats up like he engages in physical violence with people that he considers you know to be yeah, yeah. negative people to like the overarching like societal structure mm-hmm. right so i would say in that way like he has a capacity for evil and it's like similar to war you know everyone thinks that like one guy on the other like when we were in vietnam vietnam thought we were the enemies and yeah, yeah. we thought vietnam was the enemy it was probably like the first way around where like the states <laughs> shouldn't have been there but um I think Superman has a capacity for evil and then he also has his kryptonite, mm. right? Like this one thing, like this kind of Achilles heel okay. that makes him a little bit imperfect. So although he's seen as a perfect person, 
if Superman was too, and this is what was happening in the Superman hero like stories too much, is like it was becoming less interesting because Superman was becoming too much of a Superman. He didn't have any like thing that a human could connect with because we all know that we have our flaws, so we even have to see some of those flaws sometimes right. in our superhero myths. Yeah, I think that like when we when we look at things, uh, we need to see things from like both sides, and when we see villains, for example, yeah, like the Joker or any villain, we can kind of like see see the that he's doing like i think what was the black panther for example yeah. the movie you had this uh this guy who came in and he was trying to take over wakanda yeah but a lot of people sympathize with him with what he was saying with michael b jordan and yeah. it's i think it's partially because you know michael b jordan's the sex a sex <laughs> symbol and like you know and i think the the directors they purposely put in like yeah, an, yeah. An evil, like uh, you know like a uh, uh, a villain but the, th- i think that's such an interesting story because it talks about being like this planet from like your home and then trying to come back and find that culture and then being seen as even an outsider to people that are like family and this is kind of the story you said something in a, in a hostel the first thing people ask you is like where are you from and i think they really mean it out of a positive way and i'll tell them like oh, i'm from the congo because that's where i was born and like you have a really good english accent I mean, they didn't ask for my whole life story and we just we just met, you know, like I could have went on and said, I grew up in San Diego. I studied in Boston and they look at me. They're like, oh, so you're really from the States. Mm. And I'm like, wow, that's a really great way for us to develop trust. Like, yeah, in our first interaction, you're going to tell me who I am, <laughs> you know, but I think it is like this, um, this, this, this. The story that I think a lot of kids are going to start to develop more and more as we become more globalized and like citizens of the world of not really having a clear-cut definition and going back and trying to figure out what home is um especially you know i've I've been in mexico for like a year and four months now and i've only spent like a week and a half of that back with family in this in san diego Mm -hmm. so like in a way mexico has been like it's been a home for me but i can't tell people like i'm mexican (laughs) you know like (laughs) because i'm not you know Yeah, yeah yeah it's like where are you from and but people try to yeah they pl- try to please you in this box and they try to look for what their idea of what what they want to perceive you as. Well, I just gotta say you know like, and this is just to be blunt and honest. Um, I I think we live in a society right now where like, look, I understand the historical ramifications of things like slavery and social injustice. Um, but I think like sometimes our temperament towards as, as black people towards the other race like kind of inhibits progress a little bit and i think it's okay you know like we also have to be able to like put our foot down and like be okay with without progress we have to be okay breaking things because otherwise we won't be taken seriously at times with that said white people have to stop telling black people where they're from you guys have been trying to shape our like not saying you like but like just like europeans have been trying to shape like our our uh ancestral like background and roots for um i'm I'm gonna tell my partners i'm gonna be on in 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 we could do. We could keep on going for twelve minutes. Okay. Yeah. 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 yeah let me just go ahead and um. Let yeah, me just take a break. I'll, I'll fix your mic. And then yeah, let him know. We have a. Uh, he has a call. He has to do with his partners. So, just gonna fix some stuff real but, but quick. How about this? I mean, if you're not if you're not in a rush, um, maybe I can get on the call for twelve minutes. Twelve minutes, and then we can start again. Yeah, we can start again. All right. Yeah. That sounds good. All right. Let's do it. I'll just fix this. Alright, we'll be right back. What's up, we'll guys? Be right back. And we're back. 
We're back. Yeah. How was your conference call? It was good. It was like a 15-minute call. Uh, we're doing a new wave of enrollment. The way our program works is that we uh, bring in students like essentially through two periods of the year. And they're really like competitive enrollment periods where students have to like apply to get into our program. So right now what we're doing is like we're just gearing up for that that next wave of enrollment with some really cool conversations with really cool students. Nice. Yeah. So, I mean, this is what it's like when you're a digital nomad, huh? You're you're uh, doing work from your computer, your access to Wi-Fi, you're just all over the place. And a lot of people are not even really used to the idea. I mean, now, I guess, more with the whole worldwide situation, yeah. people are more, becoming more accustomed to working from home. But the idea of also traveling and working is still foreign to a lot of people. Yeah. I, I like to use the, uh, the, the the elephant example. is like when you're a circus elephant, which I have no experience doing but what i've heard that they do <laughs> with circus <laughs> elephants is that they put a stake when they're a baby okay like they put a, a kind of a stake on on their foot and of course the stake is just strong enough so the baby elephant can't move yeah okay um and then obviously as the circus elephant turns into a full-grown elephant it still keeps the stake on its foot and this the elephant has been conditioned as a kid to believe that it can't break the stake yeah so it doesn't even try ah. and i think that that's kind of like the conditioning that like when people are putting cubicles for an extended period of time and they have to um yeah when they're putting cubicles for a certain period of time and then they're they're sent to go work from home they kind of think like their home is now their cubicle and we're talking a little bit about this idea of like service versus servitude and how i believe like to be in a service position Obviously, we live in a service industry. If you don't have that freedom, that servitude, not service, servitude to a boss, servitude, you know, to whatever you're doing. Um, so I, I really believe that if more people travel, if more people no longer see their homes as like these fixed concepts, then they'll be culture will evolve in a different way, and they'll right. be more. They'll be more. I like that. I like it's it's almost like the corny saying home is where the heart is, right? Yeah. It's like is it a house or a home? And people think of their house as a home, but it's not really that. And we're we're fixed to this to the safety net to yeah. this space. And it's more I think we've uh, been programmed for that, Kai. Like yeah, yeah. you know, I think the way the same way De Beers like told us love is in a ring. You know, like De Beers created this whole entire social programming campaign that they call marketing. Right. Marketing, social programming, same thing. Diamonds, yeah. Right? Like diamonds so then now you believe, like, if you have love for a girl and you guys really, really have love for her, you got to break your back and maybe even go bankrupt to be able to express that. And now it's an embedded aspect of our of our rituals, of our, of our love rituals, and a similar aspect. So you fall in love and then now you got to get that house because mm. home that's what home you know you got to build a home right and then banks have now figured out a way to go ahead and put and people to the point where they're doing 30-year mortgages right they made it easy to mass market this uh, idea of the american dream yeah, or yeah. whatever dream it is because you feel that it's not valuable if you're not investing a lot of your money your time and your worth then then you don't have it doesn't have value yeah and i think it's so cool like being 23 i've lived in like really cool villas and airbnb suites and boho chic yeah. places and every week i'm seeing like a new version of home you know like every few days kind of right and for a lot of people that's scary too it's it's scary in the sense that they become kind of like the uh the lion right when if you if you if you take a lion that's um that's been that's been captured and then 
that's been raised within um, or as born in a captured environment that's all they know as opposed to the lion that's been living in the wild knows the hunt yeah. knows what it's like to be free and then yeah. it's captured they yeah. have that they still have it in their eye but as humans we've been kind of born into this domestication of of society and culture where we're living in these safety nets yeah well domestication is like a really i i think is a social problem and i think nietzsche talks a lot about like we nietzsche actually talks about shadow work in a really similar way um he kind of talks about like having ceremonies of the passions and like really celebrating our passions diving deep into like our animalistic instincts so we can become divine beings and divine animals that are one with nature right rather than like these sectioned off like social beings and social creatures yeah i like that it's, it's so funny or interesting that you bring up nietzsche because we also talked about like superman and superheroes yeah like and i think Uber nietzsche Mensch. was the one who brought up the idea of superman right yeah well i'm actually reach I'm, I'm, I'm actually reading uh thus sarasusha spoke right now and this is like the concept of the overman or the ubermensch or like the superman um, we can talk a little bit more about that. I think it's a really well, yeah. If you think it's interesting, yeah. What do you think? I mean, I think it's a really interesting concept. I think so. We this is not something that I've done because part of my brain is like structured in like in a way where I either listen or I, I've been in an academic um, community and an academic society for a really long time. So sometimes before I actually say things, I have yeah, to hold on. Okay. <laughs> before before I say things, I have to really believe them, and I I I have to go through a, a process that's scientific. So I just have to be honest and say like the information that I might tell you is not any information that I think has been backed by like a scientific study or anything. Okay. What are my What are my opinions of the Ubermensch? My emotion, my heart tells me that Da Vinci's, Albert Einstein's, Walt Disney's. These people right now, they're, they're small percentages. We're talking about yesterday how certain things are distributed, right? Mm -hmm. And they're skewed towards a really, really small percentage of a population. And I think as we get better, as we get better, and I don't know what better stands for as a society, but I think for just visual purposes, we can use the word higher. We become a higher society. Yeah, elevated society, higher self. Yes, a more enlightened society. Th these Da Vinci's, right these albert einsteins they're going to be normal people Ooh. and i believe that there's either going to be a breeding process of that that gets incorporated um but eventually we're going to be able to have really strong high societies and i'm not talking about the high societies that are in soho just because you're able to buy a luxury purse it's going to be in the heart it's going to be in the mind it's going to be in the way that we can actually add to the cosmos and i think that there's going to be a lot of really really smart people i think the idea of an of an um of an uberman or an overman is someone that's essentially elevating humankind itself that right. is so that is so attached and, and devoted to this idea of human beings overcoming life and that's what we've been doing since yeah. we're cavemen it's a yeah. point we can actually have intellectual conversations but at some point and it happened a really long time ago um when if you look at human evolution especially the way that our prefrontal cortex is developed to the point that we can actually start coming up with language and societies that's that's yeah, huge it's, it's yeah how do we go from being apes and trees to like having conversations that are able to use words to intellectualize our physical experience no other species can do that right to manifest to change our environment to start pondering the universe and the stars and 
be able to reach these heights and travel outside of our own and system and, and these are biological evolutions like imagine the manifested manifestation of the prefrontal cortex right so and, yeah and at some point in our society we we stopped evolving as species and we started evolving as like as like technology so we start thinking about things like okay the will like that's a really important like fires like the discovery of fire is really mm -hmm. really important but as like individual like like humans we, we create cool technology outside of ourselves like in a way our iphones are just as much of ourselves as mm -hmm. we are ourselves you know they're extensions but of human ingenuity and creativity. we're just creating we're just cr we're just creating things outside of ourselves i think the overman is the idea of someone who's going to be able to go ahead and actually like not even someone but like i think it's going to be a group of people that eventually leads to a species that's going to eventually be and and so that, that's what i think of that's 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 say hi to the camera <laughs> that's what i think of que onda pablo you say gracias for pablo for these chairs because yeah, like, he let gracias, us pablo. Sí, pablo, yeah pase pase por <laughs> well, no. yeah thanks to well, thanks to these pablo and everyone for the help and uh making sure everything's clean and organized and get back to your bed and everything your room that's it bro that's it bro yeah but no what so what do you think about for example the idea that or the studies that shown that for example sat scores or after like a certain amount of five or ten years they have to get harder they yeah. have to make them because people are getting smarter yeah um not necessarily that the overall population is getting smarter but the the students who are taking the tests are kind of getting smarter or yeah, that's a that's a really good proposal i i also like just just to be like completely honest about my sentiments towards that i don't believe that sat scores are necessarily the best um gauge or benchmark or for benchmark, yeah. for intelligence or any kind of productive capacity okay i think especially when you see because i come from like suburbs where I'm surrounded by like families that can afford to put their kids in SAT prep, prep schools, schools where they memorize the right skills to be. I think that's what's getting, that's why they had to make mm, it harder. It's just because maybe. that's a good it's, point. It, it, yeah. it's, it's like a, if you I have like a, a marker and the marker wow. is like the marker for like your future, people are going to find ways to gamify that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's no, that's, a, that's amazing point that you brought up. People, people are looking at the studies and they just see, Oh wow. People are getting, better at these tests so we have to make them harder but what you said is i think is the best reason for that is that there's more people getting better at preparing for the test and yeah. they know what's going to be on the test so they can memorize the test and then once the, the, the once they've taken the sat scores everything gets forgotten yeah and the other thing is like i said that's why i go back to the scientific thing because there might have been an actual study that someone did in this and i'm sure that the person who did the study mm -hmm. comes from like he's he's a pretty intellectual smart right. person I'm sure that he might have factored these ideas in and I haven't read the study, so I'd, I'd have to see the yeah, study. Yeah. You know? No, but that's, yeah, I like that. I like that. It's, it seems like that's the best reason for it yeah. because when you look at society, we're not, are we really getting smarter? Is, is society a whole getting better or, or is maybe our environment around us getting more comfortable where we're producing more things? So yeah. we, we feel like we're progressing, <laughs> Yeah, yeah. but it's just more of a comfort. Like we have nicer homes and we have smartphones that do a lot of stuff for us. But as, as a whole, as a human being, as an individual and as a collective, are we actually evolving? And I, 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 I want to go back into this idea of like when like man, mankind was actually like, really like where what evolving, level right to the point where like we had pre a prefrontal cortex yeah, developing okay. and language became a thing and the way that we visualize that's color there, yeah and so that's that's what i see is but this is like a very animalistic evolution 
And of course, the prefrontal cortex has just become to the point where like, we used to use our, our amygdala a lot, like our, 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 like our deepest, most animalistic, for, you know, for instincts right. and stuff. And then as we started utilizing our prefrontal cortex, we started thinking about technology and these intellectual things. But I still believe that as it was evolving, we're really still connected to the amygdala and the ability to search and taste. And, right. and I think that we've realized the overpower it's almost like steph you know when you know when you got that guy who's in like uh in 2k that's just probably you know that guy who's always played is always in 2k and always chooses like steph curry and like the warriors <laughs> when they're unbeatable i think that that's how we felt about our prefrontal cortex just like wow like i can outgame all these animals like i don't even need my amygdala anymore yeah and i think it might have reinforced it but now we only use this part mm. of our free tongues in what way do we only use it if for instance we're a service we're a service society now okay. especially in the, Uni in the united states mm -hmm. and service societies you get really good at um a particular specialization and maybe you go to school for that special like really particular what we what we teach with our students some of our students are smart man and they get, they're really good at one thing you know right and i think that we just come to the point like we we're no longer connected to our hands our body our feet our hearts right because our minds are, are what gets us our salary and what helps us build families. And I think that like coming back to nature would be a really positive thing for the, like the human, the human species to evolve, you know, yeah, I think it's interesting. I mean, I've, I've heard this one guy, he always talks about how a lot of our decisions that are made are, are actually made from, uh, from an emotional um, point where a lot of our, the side that the side of our brain or the part of our brain that controls rational thoughts, it doesn't control behavior. Yeah. So we like to think that, you know, a lot of what we do is is rational, but it's actually irrational. Yeah. We, we we make our decisions based off um, emotions and irrational. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a really powerful idea. And also the other idea is like, um, what is the manifestation of where emotions and feelings come from? How do emotions and feelings uh, kind of elevate to to thoughts and then how do those thoughts become actions and i think the way that like at least from what i remember at least from the scientific uh discoveries that we found out is that we get these sensory informations right mm. so for instance you might see a car coming at you right right and then you see a car coming at you and that elicits like an emotion because thought thought is a derivative of an emotion right to be able to like intellectualize the feeling that you're having so maybe you the, the, the first primary feeling that you have is fear Right, and then you think, okay, there's a car coming at me, and that sends an action for you to jump out of that fight or flight, fight or flight, right? So yeah, yeah, okay. So it's emotion, it's emotion first, right? Okay, um, and then it's intellectual, and then it's action. then we try to rationalize it. Hey, and then what after, to do? Yeah, okay. and you're like, what the fuck? I just almost got hit by a car, <laughs> and then you're starting to yell at the guy, and then you know, like. <laughs> but do you think, for example, in that situation, I would say to me, it seems like it's almost involuntary, yeah. where. Does it even pass? Maybe it passes through a part of your brain that controls that, but it's it's almost like a uh, an instinctual thing yeah. where you're you're out of control, where, where it's like the fight or flight, where it's like your your body just takes over and yeah. says, "Hey, let's preserve." Well, that's <laughs> that's a, and that and that's that's the point about this 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 like nature of emotion because the way that things like kind of have to manifest themselves for like intellectual thought is it's a longer process, and the 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 less connected you are to nature. The less connected you are to nature, the more of a privilege you have 
to intellectualize things. That's why everyone's like, I overthink everything. You know, I got all these, I overthink everything. I can't stop overthinking. Well, you have a privilege to overthink because you don't have Survival. animals and bears. Yeah, and, yeah. you're not living on a, or where did I get my food next? Where do I get shelter from? All of these things are kind of taken care of. Yeah. So you can kind of get to these, uh, what is it, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, yeah, right? Yeah. So you become to this level where you, you get self-actualization and you can start yeah. pondering the nature of the universe. Why am I here? That's like almost like a privilege. Yeah, and that's and that's so. Let's let's go back to my Maslow's hierarchy of needs because I, I do believe that maybe it's my interpretation of it, but I don't believe that. Um, I don't believe in the in the traditional like linear process of Maslow's hierarchy, okay. but also in my disbelief of it, it's actually. Maslow has outproven me every single time. You know, I'm a, I'm I'm a kid. I'm 23. You know, yeah. and like that's why I'm very like conscious about telling you when like I don't have like the information or I haven't seen studies or I haven't done like the scientific work in order to be able to have an opinion on certain yeah. things. No, but you can and have I've, an opinion, but you can also just be aware that maybe your opinions can be wrong or right. I think we yeah. can all have opinions about yeah. things. Like you, we we all have opinions whether they're right or wrong. It's it's up for debate, but that's yeah, what we yeah. hear, you know. And and I think more of my things are like emotions. I have emotions and like feelings about ways that I would that I feel about things. Um, the thing is, like when I was really young, I was really attached to the opinions that I didn't have information on, that's and that creates that. really toxic exactly. opportunities for growth. Yeah, attachment. Um, so we're talking a little bit more about this idea of like kind of like illicit emotions, right? Where people have what they have given their work in their cubicles, right? And our societies have become so productive, but we still live in a late capitalistic era where like you have to go to work and you have to do things that you don't want to do that might not be the most positive things for society or even your own families or yourself. And I think we see that manifested in things like depression and anxiety because people are sitting there in their cubicles biting their nails all day mm. and saying this can't be life itself. This like and I think the more we get connected in nature and yeah, you see a spider for the first time and you're like super scared, but then you get comfortable with it. Um, I, 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 there, there's 10 scorpions inside of my villa in Mazunte in one month, you know? <laughs> um, and over time, you get less anxious and scared about very simple, like people get very anxious about really simple social situations because we haven't had, in a really contrary way, the privilege of facing difficult things. And that's why when Americans, they come over here to like really dis underprivileged places, they're like, oh, like those people seem so happy. Yeah, it's true, but that's, that's not fetishized like struggle. Like they just have a clear understanding of like human existence. And I think in a way they might be actualized in the Jungian perspective of self. I like that. Yeah, I think that you know, I do that sometimes also. I, I say I go to play underprivileged places or places where they're just not underprivileged but places out in rural areas where they don't have maybe the luxuries that i have and i say and i see these people and they're so happy and i'm like wow they're so happy all these things but it's it, maybe what you're talking about how they've they've understood their their place or not their place but their environment and they've kind of adjusted to it they're connected to nature yeah yeah and the irrational nature of nature um like i told you i was born in civil war mass genocide as a kid what yeah. the fuck is civil war? What is mass genocide that like humans can come up with the idea that they will wipe out not only one person. I mean, I would I've had I've had people I haven't liked the most. 
you know, like and, and growing up, I used to fight a bit, you know, okay. like almost, almost every day in elementary school. And that has a lot to do with like childhood trauma and things and expressions, things like that. But I can understand like really not liking one person and maybe not not acting it out, but thinking this person would be better if he wasn't in my life or he wasn't around. But then thinking about that for an entire race of people, that's a really irrational aspect of the human psyche. Yeah. Civil war. But these exist in nature. And that's why I say if we're not connected, like these people understand the irrational, the irrationality, uh, irrationality of a being, like whether it's like just like they're looking for a way to feed their family on a weekly basis and yeah and maybe that's why when they actually go on they have a beer that they're not in a social circle with their friends and being anxious because they understand like i work freaking hard to be able to afford these beers yeah. and we get in cubicles where everything's handed to us because we live in really highly productive societies and then we get into a party you're like we're with the girl and we're like oh like i don't know how to like <laughs> and, I, and, I, and i and i'm saying that from a from a from a perspective of like uh, satire, but like I've also dealt with these. Like I'm I'm also projecting like my own experiences where I've lived in those cubicles and spent all that time biting my nails. Right. Um, and I've had those situations where I've been with women and don't, like don't know how to express my like emotions or my feelings or my primal urges and things. It's because we're disconnected from like being itself. Right. You haven't been uh you haven't been in that situation enough to feel comfortable to know yourself and know you know who you are in that situation so it's all new for you so for you you're kind of nervous and and not sure of yourself yeah but you know i think if if we get taught like how to there's just so many things and you know everyone knows like school doesn't teach life and like when we're in like in biology classes and things you know and we're learning how to take tests and stuff and then we actually get thrown out to the ringer like like god help you get out in the middle of mexico all by <laughs> yourself without you know but even but the thing is, even if you could make it here um by choice i think even that surviving is a different thing surviving is different yeah and that's, and that's and so that's why that's why i say like man and there's no way that you could really teach school can't t are, look let's talk about something let's talk about systems okay yeah Let, let's, let's talk about like let's talk about systems the way that systems are inherently corrupt and there's a value to systems that I've like in my juvenile self. I was really reject like recently. I've been really rejecting all systems, capitalistic systems, education systems, familial systems, any system you can think of. I think that there's inherent like corruption in it, and um, that's a bit of an exaggeration. I haven't done my, my my research on on it enough, but I think that if we look at a system to solve a societal problem, systems are inherently corrupt, so they can't always do like their job I, I my mom's a preschool teacher i work in education and everyone always blames the education system for not like nurturing students in the way that they're supposed to but yeah it's because the education system's fucked okay so we can't actually like solve the problems of creating happy whole enlightened humans so what do we do then how do we what's what's this? nature solution is nature because 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 nature is kind of like it's like kind of a, like a like a like a primary, like evolving, and I don't even think you could call it a system. Okay, so what is it? We're figuring it out. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, nature, it's like it's pri it's primary, it's a priori, you know. Okay. Like, and we build systems outside of nature so we can like either control nature or we can control like we can. I, I think I think systems are more storehouses of power. 
Okay. You think of like a political system or even like an education system, for instance, you know, you got your president, corporate systems, you know, you got your CEO and these guys, they're eating well and they're <laughs> like, yeah, hey, I like the way that this is going. Let's keep this the way it is. And not to say it doesn't have value, you know, like we need, right. sometimes we need systems in order to be able to go ahead and bring order to like really large scale um, masses, populations and people. Um, but yeah, I, I just like, I, I've, I've given up hope that like a political system is going to solve like our, our, our problems as humans. I think maybe this is going to add a little bit more value than. So what is your system. definition of a system? Like what, how would you define a system? I mean, I can give you an example of systems and we can, we can, we can okay, come up yeah, with the yeah. definition together. Yeah, let's do that. Okay, so what would be like the first system that comes to mind for you? System, uh, I would say a school system. Okay. Okay. I, I think political systems are a really interesting thing to look okay. at um, because they have been like a really primary thing that humans like. I think we started off with philosophy and then eventually like philosophy like because philosophy is like, how can we live like a happy and fulfilling life? And somehow that seeped into politics and then now politics became like, how can we create a political system that allows us to be able to live like happy and fulfilling lives? So people have come up with different ideas for systems of political systems, whether it be like communism or um, democracy, right? Mm -hmm. So I would say like, a, like, that would be an example of a system, right? right. Um, and then within these systems there's structures to a system, right? So for instance, in the United States, democracy which is not really a democracy to be honest we have a president you know we have our three branches of government we have the way that our justice system should work is it starting to make like yeah yeah i, I don't have an, an I would example, say, example i would say like it's more like you said structure like it's a it's a, um, a system to me it's more of an abstract concept that has a structure with rules that these are that, that we follow certain rules and it's it's built off system like structures points yeah so for example like the political system we have these rules where we, out of a need for organization to organize resources for happier and and happier living of, of communities we said okay well we're going to give you this position this title you're going to have this structure and you're going to be at this point and you're going to handle this and then you're going to have this rule and title and you're going to get a badge and you're this person and you handle farming you handle food you handle yeah, yeah. community yeah yeah so we put people in different levels and then it creates this structure, this chart, and people have different positions of power. Yeah, and I, and I and and this is this is like what I was talking a little bit more about, like my um, anarchic self and my like really like <laughs> young rebellious like teen almost like that teenage like spirit that I still have. Yeah, it's like fuck systems, man. And and as as I as I've as I've thought these things over, not being attached to my opinions. I start to see the value in systems mm. and the beauty of systems and the way that they actually come from really like idealized concepts and ways of people trying to organize idealism into a way that fosters organization. And because if we have too much chaos, we can't actually have freedom. There's a certain amount of structure that we need in order to be able to go ahead and create freedom and structure for societies. My, my, my biggest problem with systems is I've seen the way that they've been inherently corrupted yeah and once you get power i mean once you get in this position and you have power it corrupts absolutely it's and it kind of eats it's, it's almost like a mag maggot in a way like the people who aren't meant to like hold these positions of power in a system then go ahead and undermine the system itself and the system in which which was created for people to thrive now becomes 
a system for a handful of people to stake power and it doesn't actually do its job like the education system you see like the graduation rates in the prison pipeline in like chicago like these systems end up fulfilling different needs and routes and so i mean what what would be your do you have like any solutions or any ideas of how we can maybe where to start with problems like stuff like problems in chicago we we talked about this a little bit yesterday um we talked about like how things are like the the distribution chart okay and when i run my nonprofit, people tell me wow samba um well financial literacy is like a really big social problem and i think it's so amazing that you're doing something to like solve the problem I'm like, I'm not doing anything to solve the problem. I've taught 1,500 students. There's millions and millions and millions and millions and millions of students okay. that don't have access to this information. And that's assuming that those 1,500 students that I've taught, that I've actually taught them something. My job is not to solve social, large-scale social problems that have created over social generations. Okay. My job is to understand how those systems have maybe even created traumas in my own life and maybe inhibited my own potential so as an individual, I can sort myself out and maybe, just maybe, I can be a positive individual to my family. And maybe if I'm an okay person to my family, then maybe I'll be able to bring in a spouse at, in the future and we'll have, you know, my spouse can actually have a good relationship with their mother-in-law. And then maybe we can create a family together. Then maybe I'll be a part of a society where I can actually be a positive contributor to society. We'll see, you know, but okay. for now it's more of like an individualistic thing of like understanding what the hell is going on out there and like, how is it, <laughs> how has it affected me? But also how can I use systems? Like we talked about this yesterday. I just want to get this on camera because yeah, yeah. Um, with captains of capital, like we teach capitalism to students and we live in a late capitalistic era and similar to like, if you're to be in the States and you're to say like, oh, I taught communism <laughs> to young kids, like that's not going to go so well in like. It doesn't wouldn't go so well now, you know? Right. So like like I said, the same way people pat me on the back, like, hey Samba, you're doing a great job teaching like financial literacy and capitalism to kids, like maybe that won't actually age so well <laughs> in in a hundred years from now. Um but I say this all to say is like I think that um the first step is like to look inward and I think before if we can inspire a lot of people to look inward, then hopefully we'll create a lot of ubermenches and overmans and we'll actually have a society that these small scale problems like what the fuck are we talking about here man we're talking about like when we go back to my uh to maslow hierarchy of needs we're talking about these super low basic needs you know food and shelter what are we cavemen (laughs) you know we are we and we're gonna look when 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 the society of like ubermenches and 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 overmen exist we're going to look back at our current society and say, oh, my God, I can't believe that we're fighting over resources like animals, you know? Right. And then we'll get to a point where people are freed of their basic level needs. And then we can create, like, creative societies where you have everything that you need. It's just, like, create something really cool yeah, yeah. that, like, makes people laugh and redeems, like, some of the suffering that we have to deal with inherently as natural beings. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. That's why I told you also that maybe you should watch the uh, documentary that I told you, Zeitgeist Addendum. It's a really good uh, documentary about the financial system and how basically we're on slavery to debt because money is debt. So we we become slaves to the system. 
Um, but it also gives a solution called this Venus Project, which is a resource-based economy where instead of having a monetary system, it has a, a society that's based off resources. Okay. How much resources do we have? Do we have the resources to feed everyone? Yes. Do we have the resources to build hospitals everywhere? Yes. Do we have the resources to build homes and shelter for everyone? Yes. We have the technology and the capability to do it. But why are we not doing it? It's because everything has a price tag attached for it. So we don't say, can we do it? We say, how much does it cost yeah, to do yeah. it? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, resources are abundant. And we can yeah. also, like, like nature's constantly creating resources at a point that we can actually, like, measure it. And I think the problem with our, like, current capitalist societies as well as, like, scientific information is that, like, everything, and it works, you know? Like, we have to set a certain amount of axioms in our scientific method. And if those are true and they're able to be repeated across time, then we can create something. And not only does it have to be scientifically relevant and scientifically um sponsored so to speak but it also has to be relevant to a mass group of people like that's why we don't have flying cars is because like we, we can't we can't produce that at a levelized cost where like the average <laughs> consumer right can, can buy it so we get like yeah and Elon Musk also said that flying cars wouldn't be like a good idea because we can't even take care of regular cars yeah. imagine a flying car and the the hubcap falls out and hits someone yeah because yeah. it's just flying cars overhead is super dangerous yeah yeah so he wants to build under under the ground but yeah i get what you're saying it's if you can't mass produce it then yeah well i just think that the way that we come up with like solutions is still in a really and and you know like we hear of these 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 ancient cultures and i really believe that the future is going to be in 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 a, like in our studying old, our history yeah like archaic concepts and that's why i don't that's why we're talking about young and niche i'm not talking about like i mean i think this who's that one like motivation i don't know like i'm sure gary right. v is an awesome person you know but like right. that's why we're we're talking about people that existed hundreds of years ago you yeah, know yeah. like because these concepts are a lot more maybe profound in a and way. They're time tested. They're time, yeah, yeah. And I think like when we look at things like the Egyptians, you know, the like, <laughs> come on. Yeah, yeah. The the I mean, when we look at the the pyramids, the technology that they had, we're still amazed, and we and still they, can't understand. And they it. didn't build them on like the on the on the paradigms of natural sciences and reason and logic. You right. know? They were, they they're supernatural a bit. Yeah, and yeah. I think being alive is is a miracle that's supernatural and the more that we can connect to this um i i think that's why a lot of people like um tesla not not tesla the car company but but tesla nikola tesla nikola tesla and i think he he had this capacity to be able to create science but for more of like a supernatural yeah. perspective but why is it that that these people like Tesla or Carl Jung and uh, Nietzsche and Einstein and these people they're rare. But mind you, you know, we talked about this society of, of Ubermensch. Uberman, yeah. You think it's like, gonna be that way? I think I think that they're gonna be that they're gonna be um a part of like a normal distributed okay. society. I think that they're gonna be considered average in but also it could go the other way, you know? Like nature can also move in a way where like the Mussolini's and like the Hitlers of the world mm -hmm. are also like the average you know na nature 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 is like really um agnostic to ethics yes i'd agree and but the good thing about humans is like with our consciousness we have a capacity to conceptualize things ethically and that's where responsibility comes i think that we as humans have to choose which way we spiral do you think though that we have because i was talking about um i met a guy yesterday at this other hostel and he had a sea shepherd shirt and i was talking to him about you know sea spiracy the documentary that came out and the environment he volunteered for the sea shepherds basically sea shepherds they go and patrol and and um patrol the seas to make sure there's not illegal fishing going on 
Um, but he had volunteered for them and I was asking him about, we had this conversation and we got into the um, talk about choice and whether human beings have a choice at all or is whether we're a product of our environment. For example, uh, when you go into a supermarket and you think you're making a choice to, to buy something, it's yeah. actually placed in front of you. It's all marketing and the yeah. way it's positioned. Or even, I found that really interesting. And one thing of like being, when I was a poor college student, it gave me a lot of opportunities to not be able to buy shit and be really underprivileged, you know? <laughs> and I had my friends from like Saudi Arabia and stuff, like, you know, like Dubai, like Turkey and civil, like that would just get flown out, you know? Uh, their, their, their parents like own their parents own uh, their parents own entire industries you know mm. and they'd be like yo let's go over to the Apple store I'm about to go cop something you know? <laughs> and I was able to look at this shit just from like a, an arch architectural like design like a system standpoint and you see exactly how the Apple store is constructed how lighting is utilized as soon as you walk into something someone greets you in a certain way yeah, yeah. you're going ahead and you're and they do they have psychologists on their teams at Apple Right. Really? You know what I mean? Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Like, mar what do you, like, like you said, market, marketing is social programming, bro. And there's a lot of smart people in their R&D offices that are making sure that you buy. Right. So there is kind of like mental war like warfare going on right now, like conscious warfare going on between um, our decisions that might be like positive. And for instance, like the fact that we can't ever put down our fucking phones and stop scrolling through Instagram. And once the addiction is actually there, it's just as bad as a cigarette habit. And people say, no, it's not. Oh, I'm just on social media. Because I want to. I uh, want to. Yeah. No, you're it's just like a someone who smokes eight packs a day saying like, I can quit whenever I want. And we're not taking it seriously. And we're not understanding how addiction is involuntary decision, involuntary consciousness. And like, there's a warfare going on between that. So, what do you think is, I mean, what are you doing then? I mean, I'm not saying what you should, what yeah, should do. Yeah, I came I came to Tulum. My first day in Tulum, I went out, I had a good time, and I, I lost my phone. <laughs> my phone had my debit card in it. Oh. And and in, and in this in this world that we live in, this community we live in, two things are supreme. How much money you have in Tulum and what your social what your social mirage, what the social persona that you created is, which, right. which is usually not who you actually are in real life. If it could actually link up, then that's a really positive thing. And I've seen a lot of people who've done yeah, it. Yeah. Um, so nature, nature and fortune has given me the opportunity to escape that. I still don't have a cell phone. Nice. So um, maybe it's also, I mean, maybe also you kind of manifested that for yourself. You kind of, you said you lost it, but maybe you, Con I don't like know what the heck, bro. I remember we, we came from <laughs> like, I think it was one of the cool, one of the cool beach places that charge you too much. But one of our friends had a table. So we, yeah, we, yeah, we yeah. backdoored our way into this space, you know, <laughs> had an amazing time dancing yeah, yeah, yeah. with awesome girls. And I had my motorcycle um, and I was going to come back to this hostel after. So like I got, I remember right before I hop on my motorcycle, I get this girl's Instagram. So it wasn't me being drunk and just like dropping it out of my thing. Um, I get this girl's Instagram and then when I get to the hostel, it's no longer there. So I think what happened was it was either in, in my pocket, like pocket shot. and I was riding my motorcycle being like going crazy and it came out. But I, but I do remember one thing. I, um, as soon as I lost my phone, I looked around, I don't have my phone. I don't have my debit card. Um, I didn't even look on, uh, find my iPhone. That's, I used to always do that. Like, and a week, a week later I was like, bro, like I lost my phone. I didn't even check, find my iPhone. So I think there was like a subconscious, subconscious. aspect where I was just like, I you don't really want it to happen I, in a way or whether it happened and you were like, I accepted that accepted it happened. It. Yeah. Cause maybe this is kind of what you wanted. You wanted to like, 
escape from this social media and phone and 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 these ties to ties the ties that we have like we're talking about like our ties to our like like capitalistic systems itself you know like here in in mexico i've seen certain places where the banking lines are so long yeah and it just shows us like we're spending our time in like and you can see everyone's face everyone's de- depressed to get that money that they just spent their whole lives working for so they can sit in yeah. a bank line for two hours to finally get it to get a resource that they need but you also brought up a, a good point yesterday you talked about uh like and not, it's not it's not essentially time but it's energy energy management right yeah i think man i think energy does I, they say wealth is like kind of a production of like um it has something to do with time and energy and then some kind of like value that you put into the world and like let's say let's say um Let's say let's say you have twenty two thousand dollars in the bank, okay? okay? And then you buy land for twenty two thousand dollars. Your wealth just gets transferred, but for some reason it feels a lot cooler. Like forget twenty two thousand dollars in the bank. Let's say you got twenty two thousand dollars in cash and you can flex that on Instagram. <laughs> that physical nature to like the items and numbers, we can't actually eat money. We can't do anything with money. Right. We've grown such a strong attachment to money that we don't actually understand what wealth or value is. Mm. Yeah. I think uh, I think it's tool like anything, right? You use it as a resource to um, move around and and do things. It's an exchange of uh, it's it's not real, but it's an abstract concept that has that can be transferred into real value. Just like just like life, just like rules, like Monopoly, right? It's a game. You play a game. Monopoly doesn't the the pieces of paper don't have any value. Yeah, but we're playing as if it does have value. right right so and you get that yeah. jet break out of jail free like yeah. so you know if you ever run into a problem call your lawyer or something <laughs> i mean bro like i said i teach capitalism to students bro yeah teach some capitalism right now like what's what's some basic capitalism well this ideas? is what i want to get to is this yeah. idea of like once you actually understand the way that capitalistic systems work and you start talking about compounding interest which i think okay. einstein said was one of like the most magical things that happened in the world and it doesn't only happen einstein. in like capitalism but it also happens with the way that we like work on our bodies like the first day in the gym is a lot harder than the eighth year in the gym right so right? yeah explain can you do some like cool introductory ideas or concepts that maybe people haven't never thought of yeah let's see what what would be interesting to people um well i think one thing that's really con like because because if you fixate this idea of time value money okay time value money okay most people exchange time which is a valuable resource for money right now people bill gates you can't actually become like, I don't know exactly what it is, but you couldn't ever become a billionaire by exchanging time, time for, for money. money. Okay. Let's say you're the best barber in the world. Everyone wants to, everyone wants, you're booked, you're booked eight years in advance. Yeah, yeah. Still, every single time you want to make, let's say you charge $100 for a haircut, you got to have a head there and you got you to be cutting, right? Right. Let's say you work for, what, eight hours a day and it takes you 30 minutes for a haircut. What, you'd be able to cut 16 16 hairs you're charging a hundred dollars a day not a bad not a bad gig right but the way compounding interest works is that you're able to make money outside of the balance of time okay um we we've been able to kind of do that as entrepreneurs in a way um with my business i've been we run a subscription model so students pay the subscription like i said i spent a certain amount of time with the students to get them into the program then they're in then they're in the program they're paying a subscription and that one student that I spent a period of time with then essentially gives me value or money 
for 12, 12 months out of the year. So that way I can be here having this podcast with you and not worry about going to go cut another hair so I can afford my my beer tonight. So it's in a, it's in a way it's almost uh, residual. Is that residual? Residual income, residual different income. streams of income and like that are not time-based. They're not time-based. Okay. And, and, you, and of course, you know, like I got to spend time somewhere and I want to spend time on creating. And that's where the freedom right. comes in. It's like. Yeah, like uh, people have told me here that what they've been doing a lot is they've been creating online courses, for example. So what you do is you invest a specific amount of time in creating the course. And then once the course is created and you put it out, that's it. I mean, with a little bit of marketing here and there and and managing uh, support. But once it's out, it's just it just you just flows to the population. Well, we talked about a little bit yesterday, like two things. Right. Um, And I got this stat from Ray Dalio, but it's it's harder to consistently beat financial markets than it is to be able to win a gold medal inside of the Olympics. Really? As a hedge fund manager, these portfolio managers to consistently be, I'm talking over 20 years. Yeah. That's harder than actually statistically speaking, than getting a gold medal in the Olympics. And every single person thinks that they're an investor, especially with the advent of blockchain technology. Mm -hmm. Not everyone thinks that they're an Olympic gold medalist. And we have to look at businesses in the same way. 90% 90% of entrepreneurs, 90% of restaurants fail in the first year. After the third year, that number goes down drastically as well. Ooh, so nice. I think one of the things that we have to be really conscious of is like not telling kids. Like one of my lo- my little brother, who's an absolute genius, um, he told me like you got to be careful about advice. You got to be careful about giving advice because people might actually take it. <laughs> we have a responsibility when we give advice. We've been given, we've been, we've been programmed so much by our parents to say like, don't follow that dream. Do this, do this. And I just have to be like honest and just tell people as well. Like, there's a risk aspect to investing. Um, there's a risk aspect to developing a business. Mm, there's a risk to following your dreams. Yeah, not only that, but also create something fucking valuable for the world, or else your business diver- deserves to fail. Like, don't just like try to like, don't try to gamify life just to create an online course so you can be in. Tulum, like spending bottles on like tequila shots, like figure right. out what you could actually add to this world and like, yeah, I like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. I hope it doesn't sound. No, no, that's good. That's good because I think we have too much of that right now. Too much people just creating stuff for this alter alter motive, ulterior motive where they want to have uh, their fancy lifestyle, but they're just creating whatever. They're creating they think. shit, man. Yeah. <laughs> we, and they're not creating from a a point of like inspiration or actually like technical knowledge yeah and um and even if even if you did start from that point hold on to that because i know i don't i don't know personally but i've seen a lot of creators also once they're at that level they're just producing to maintain their lifestyle yeah yeah so it's not maybe they may have started with the original intent to be good but once you're at the platform you're just like, oh, I got to create something new. So I'll, I'll just post, I'll just make a 10 minute video or yeah. make this cool thing that I know it's going to get likes and, and me and money. That's, and that's what we're talking about, about like creation. Like what we're doing right now right. is we're creating. Publishing is a different idea. Okay. So how is that? So we create and then publishing. Okay. So let's say like, let's say I have a journal. Yeah. That's constant creation. Okay. Let's say I go ahead and I take a step up and I say, I want to write a book. Okay. Uh, you can write the book, but you don't have to publish it. Right. And then when you actually publish it, you put on the thing and then you do like your whole press run on it. Okay. And hopefully you get a publisher behind you. But that book might not appear. That might not be a New York bestselling. Right. Right. Like there's certain, there's certain like palettes that fit certain consumption patterns, you know, and, um, they change over time. And I think that that's like an inherent We're And I, I think, I think, I think what, what the best creators do, like the Shakespeare's and stuff is they say, 
whatever's whatever's being manufactured to fit a certain taste i have a certain perspective that's going to be original that's what we call like original that's what we call artists and creatives like there's a difference between being like an artist and being like artisanal right like or like creating prints right creating prints of of a of a da vinci versus actually being da vinci you know Mm -hmm. and i think a lot of times people just manufacture the same things because they know that it's going to sell like they can mass product like like let's say we want to create a headphone company you know we just get some investors come up with a different a few models hire a couple influencers and a couple social media people run our marketing schemes on facebook ads we can probably turn like two million in in revenue in like in two years right but are we creating any are we just creating more plastic more gadgets (laughs) and that's what we're creating a lot more of yeah so was back to the question though creating and publishing and then um and then yeah what do you so if do you have an uh like what's your opinion on on publishing do you ha- are you more of, of of creating just trying to create a, and what is original content what do you define as original also yeah i i have a vision for like what the samba brand is going to look like and you know like mm-hmm. it's something like i've been thinking about since i was 15 you know like actually younger than that you know something i was thinking about when we were like five six years old and i was thinking like how am i gonna buy my mom a house you know and at first my vision was like i'm gonna be like the best football player in the world you know (laughs) what i mean and eventually that's gone to entrepreneurship and it's no longer like a in a way there's a personal need to it like i want to be a validated billionaire you know what i mean like um but in in the way that i produce things in, in, in the companies that i'm a part of or or, or the or the structures or projects that I'm a part of. We talked a little bit about this yesterday. Is like, if I want to make something to the to the quality of Louis Vuitton, or if I want to make something to the quality of even Vans, you know, like anything, like like, and that's that's where I am more on like the education, like finance side. I can't just create my own course. Like I needed the backing of the partners that I'm with right now, and like right, the partners yeah. that I'm with to be able to create something to the quality something that i can actually stamp my name on and say like this is samba certified you Mm -hmm. know and i think that's the biggest like hurdle that i run into when it comes to publishing it's just like i can't some of the ideas that i have i might just not be at the maturity stage in which it's right for me to put it out and i want to be able to put it out in a way that like i said it's not only fulfilling my own like my own basic level needs for food and shelter but like maybe feeds my my creative ego like to be able to say like I create cool shit <laughs> that is cool for the universe, you know? Yeah. I think also, too, like you said, we, uh, in order for you to create something to that level, you need a backing. You need a, I think uh, Drake, for example, has said that, you know, he can make his own music and publish it out. We have these space. There's the freedom. The internet gives us a space to just publish. But you need that backing of a record label, yeah. of someone to to market your, your, your music or your records or your products. You need that that almost a sense of system or a structure or a, 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 a group of people that are able to, because you can't do everything yourself. Can I tell you a story yeah, about my, ahead, my, me, my nonprofit? Um, so my nonprofit, when, when, we, when we launched and I had this idea of I wanted to go ahead and work with students, the first thing that I did is I reached out to the largest nonprofit, education nonprofit in the world. Okay. And I asked them, what can we do for you to help you? These education nonprofits, they bring in like bankers to go teach, like go talk to like students in underserved communities. I'm like, we got a lot of college students that would like to go ahead and teach your curriculum because we we just want to work with students. We're not in this ego trap of like whose curriculum gets taught in the classroom, which happens in when corrupted systems of power get involved. But we just wanted to help. 
and they gave us the backing. They gave us space inside of a classroom. They gave us time to be able to actualize our vision. Wow. Because, you know, you go into classrooms and I remember, I know you remember like syllabus week when like the first, you get yeah. to first, the teacher knows exactly, especially because the way that education systems of power work, they know exactly what has to be uh, taught for an entire year. So for us to be like a small college student-based nonprofit, to be able to say, hey, I want like an hour of your, of your teacher time, almost impossible to get. So we used a larger entity to be able to get us through the door. Now, we did so much work with this that we were like, hey, we've been doing work with these students. And then some after-school program said, hey, Samba, like we'd love for you to go ahead and teach for us. We executed those. Nice. Eventually, now we have our own programming and now we have these collaborative programming. Now I'm getting invited to go ahead and do galas for this this. This, the largest nonprofit in the world. I'm getting introduced to CEOs, people at the World Bank, I'm getting introduced to lords, you know what I mean? Um, like people with the title of lord, you know what I mean? Um, and then my university finally catches on after three years, like Samba's been putting it on for our school and they posted an article a little bit about my story. Boom, the article is one of the, 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 the best publishing things that they put out, yeah? And that brings me more, um, more, more, more eyeballs. I get invited to go ahead and do an NBC interview and then things start to compound. Right. So this is what I mean a little bit more by like having, a, and I have this Midas touch of like any company, like the company I'm working with right now, we started off with uh, 30 students. We now have over 385 students across 25 countries, over a hundred universities. Started off with 30, we 10 X the company in under a year. Nice. You know, so we got this Midas, like when I worked for an asset management, like it was similar process, like come in there, break things. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and in the process of, of breaking things and coming up with my idea, Samba, like, creating and, and producing things that are beneficial for the ethos yeah 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 so that's what i mean a little bit more by like just having structure and like ideas and stuff. i like that yeah I, I think um being able to have yourself have your vision your brand and then using different platforms to go on and to um to share that in with different communities and spaces is kind of where we're at now where um even in the social media world or any world where we do collabs with people but um focusing on yourself but the way you, you said it you focus on yourself first yeah and then you're able to have that touch that golden touch but i feel i'm pretty i feel pretty happy with where this conversation <laughs> is gone and i feel like pretty happy with where it is yeah okay you want to wrap it up yeah let's do it um do you want to tell people uh where they can reach you at or anything yeah man um reach out to me on official king clout on instagram and then on on linkedin would be a good place for us to have a conversation so if you guys are on linkedin just look up brandon samba okay and we can continue the conversation from there nice yeah and uh yeah i'm glad we got to do it here in the hostel space yeah like, kai bro thank you for inviting um, me and yeah, like thank yeah. you for making all this stuff work yeah. yeah definitely man thank you for being a guest on uh the sonder at last podcast and yeah i'm uh I'm trying to do similar what you're doing, where you're doing your Samba brand. I'm trying to do the Atlas community, yeah. where in a sense, uh, it's a global community of people from all over and, and creating these podcasts with interesting people that I meet and creating a community and people can find you. And eventually, yeah, eventually the idea is to to make reunions and make physical places we can go and you, people can see this episode and see, hey, man, I, I meet you in person yeah. and say, hey, wow, I, I saw your, your, your podcast and your episode and I really resonated with this. I would like to talk to you about some ideas that I have and some ways I can help you and maybe you can, you can make something better. Yeah, well, I think anyone that's like cultivating community should be celebrated and so I'll celebrate you for that and also just luck, man, because... <laughs> I think even when we want to create really awesome things like 
there's an uphill battle. But what I always like tell really young entrepreneurs is is is, is see it through, man. See it through. Yeah. At the end of the day, when 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 the sun engulfs this whole like thing that we call like planet Earth, none of it's <laughs> gonna matter at the end of the day anyway. So might as well just go hard, yeah. Yeah, just do what you can and. And like you said, it's community. I mean, you were also talking about, for example, like Selena. Yeah. Like you were going to work, do some projects with them and like you had to contact them. And yeah, like Raphael, like, come on. Like, <laughs> Raphael, man, reach out to me. Like I told you, man, I got the Midas touch. And I think that this idea of co-living and how it like intersects with work yeah, and life and creation, I think is like a really interesting concept that um, I have a, I have opinions on. My opinions might be wrong, like we talked about, but I'm not so attached to my opinions. But, um, yeah, I think that there's a lot that that could be created in these spaces and communities. Yeah, I think that, I mean, we have these communities of work, for example. You go into office, like, yeah. and it, has, it fosters this kind of box of community. But when you have a co-living situation, your people, yeah. your people are happy to be traveling, right? They're in their best space. Yeah, yeah. Where they're in this uh, place where they've never been at. Um, a and uh quiero pasar por aquí and uh <laughs> <laughs> moving some equipment around and so yeah so when people are are, are code living it for example like a selena hostel and they're doing co-working there it's not just that it's the great part of it is that you can meet people from all over the world and you're getting an uh, an exchange of flow and of, of ideas from people that you would have never come across with, but also that you're in a new space and in a, a place where you're happy because you're traveling, you're outside, if you're in your comfort zone and, and you're in a beautiful area that you've always wanted to yeah, visit. Yeah, but the only, thing, the only thing is that there's not enough being done in these communities for like, there's, there's still, there's still, there's there, there, still, there's still a pandering towards superficial connections. Mm, okay. That occur in, yeah. in, 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 in hostile communities. And I, I hate to generalize it, but I, but I, but I do believe for some reason, the fact that there's only classes on how to make guacamole and margaritas. And then we have our <laughs> like, which I love yoga. Like I said, I just did a yeah, yoga yeah. class. That's a great point. Actually. But why don't we have like community circles about like the exact, concepts we're talking about right now whether it's you know name it doesn't have to be a political i don't even want to put out a topic out there like right, we don't right. even have to come in with the topic yeah, yeah yeah but these places i feel like yeah like we get the parting done and we get like the happiness done but then you go in the co-working space and like everyone's doing their own but like good point good point i know or, I agree or, or like why are we not having classes on teaching these individuals how to become like digital entrepreneurs and also the other thing about when you hear about a digital nomad is most people do not actually have full control of their digital nomadism i was hearing some guy yesterday who was like essentially a customer service agent for like 10 different brands who's pestering people on the phone to be able to like sell them and market things and that's yeah. what i mean by people like creating ideas to be able to support their own like lifestyles right rather than actually adding value in fact adding a, like a lot of annoyance and like disturbance and friction yeah yeah um i i agree with that. that's a great point because yeah you go into i've been to these co-working spaces also like in Celine and other places and it's great that you can meet people but like you said it's what are, i mean what are the, in a sense they're just they're there maybe um doing some marketing for a company or are we there i mean yeah you could take a yoga class and that's cool you could take a yoga class and but then the classes that they have or what guac, how to make guacamole how to do these what are basic. we doing what are we doing to uplift our intellect our, our spirit our maybe the, that's adding you know that, like that's what i'm saying i don't want to throw the baby out with the bathwater because like i've had a lot of fun at the margarita making classes yeah, i got yeah. really drunk i learned how to like how to how to chug a 
a, a glass covering it so you can chug it really fast and that's right. that's a cool skill i guess to have but yeah but how is that elevating you as a <laughs> as a, is that gonna help us is that gonna help us usher in the next the next gener- next uh generation of overmen the over yeah is that gonna be is that gonna be what ushers in the new generation of uber mentions and maybe this these spaces are actually not for that so okay. maybe we'll have to create new spaces and new institutions and systems all right yeah i that. like that let's let's think about it let's uh ponder it let's let it resonate in our subconscious and great convo and we are out thank you for being here thank you for listening and hopefully you enjoyed this talk and whoop, perfect timing <laughs> love <laughs>